week has been out. All right, episode 213. Um, we are here. Yeah, I know. Um, we are. I wonder what your two's very first episode was. I'm going to have to go back and find out what number you all were at to see what mm. you guys have done now. You've got to have done 100, haven't you? Surely. Feels like it. <laughs> uh, Adam, Craig, how are you? How is everything going on with you guys? Good? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Right. It, I know we're, we're sort of, we're a bit late to the party in, in recording this. So uh, I think given the result, I was obviously over the moon. But yeah, weekend's been all right. How about yourself, Adam? Yeah, yeah, doing all right. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about the game, which is tomorrow. I don't know when, depends on people listening to this, right? Uh, if you are listening to this prior to the Everton game, I'm worried. And if you listen to this after the Everton game, I'm either upset or happy. That's that's basically my perspective. I'm, I, I am terrified about this game, though, because you look at the fixture list and you're like, all right, this is the one. Nah. Yeah, um, we'll see. Josh, how's it going? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, you're dog, right. Dog scrambling about. Uh, cat, actually, this time, because why That's not? the noise of a cat. Um, yeah, being an idiot. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a freaky time, I think, because really you've got this one in Southampton, right, both at home, and you think they're the two that we absolutely should be taking three points each from. And if you do, and you do take three points off of both of those, like you're in a really good spot. Like We're at a point there where Villa have to win out to, to have any chance of taking that spot from us uh, after their major upset against Wolves. Wolves um, are our new best friends, given the really events are. of the past week. Right? They let us batter them, and then they beat our closest European rivals. Perfect. Thanks, Wolves. <laughs> yeah, they are. They, I don't know where that came from, um, because I watched the, the, the highlights, and they weren't exactly great. Um, just Villa couldn't get anything done. Couldn't finish um, up, didn't I? <laughs> love it, though. Love it. Um <laughs> All right, let's talk United. Um, very much uh, just a repeat, right? We were coming into this one what, a week, barely a week removed from from Wembley, um, and uh, much of the same lineup came out for United. Uh, a couple of changes for us from midweek as well. McAllister back, Isado right back. What uh, I now say back in the in the team. Uh, Duncan Webster as our back two. Um, Undav dropped back to the bench. March came on. Uh, but he was on the bench to start with yesterday, uh, or rather on Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday. How were, how were you feeling about that lineup? Because once again, it was it was a chop and change lineup, but it, it's it's feeling pretty in force at this point, isn't it? With the games coming and injuries and all that good stuff. Yeah, I think the the general consensus was, what are we doing, and what what does that even mean? Um, I think it's becoming more of a game week by week or game week by game week as to who's playing where. Um, but like you said, it's completely enforced, right? We, we need to rotate. The main thing is obviously Caicedo at right back. Um, no gross. We had no inkling that he was out at all. That was a complete surprise. And and Veltman was not a surprise whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, looking at the team sheet, you're going, who's playing right back? Um, but it obviously became clear. Uh, it completely enforced. And that's, that's the best team that we can put out based on the number of games that we have left. You know, we, we have three games in hand on some some teams and we're playing every four days this month. So we, we need to we need to swap it around. But uh, confusion at first, but, you know, completely understanding of it. Uh, yeah. What about you, Adam? 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that Deserby, despite the fact that he's having to like really put in randos in like right back position, most notably, is like refusing to switch to a three at the back. Um, so you can sort of play a, a stupidly left wing back, march right wing back, something along those lines, um, where it would make sense. He's like, no, I am sticking to this 4-2-3-1 and we're going to do it and we're going to play anyone right back, um, which testament to his, uh, I guess, way of thinking and probably the comfort of the players. Probably don't want to, at this point of the season, go, you know what, we're going to do this old thing now. Um it was a weird, I was looking through the lineup and I, by the way, this is a stupid point to make, but like the way we put our lineup out was just a list of the names. It's awful, isn't it? Uh, it's like, why are you doing this to me? I'm, I'm trying to, it's like playing a game, you know, like, which one's missing, which, and as it wasn't until the end, I was like, where the hell's Pascal Gross? Um, and that's where we were just like, who is playing where at this point? And of course, we saw Buenanote come in, Gilmore got another start, um, I think the latest news coming up for the Everton game is that Veltman's definitely not going to be able to play, uh, but possibly gross. We don't know. And Ferguson is a maybe. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, but <laughs> I guess look, we won the game. Uh, so long, long man continue. Put anyone in there at right back. Let's, let's have Colwell play. Let's have Welbeck right back. I, I was surprised to see uh, Caicedo out there instead of a Colwell or Webster going at right back, though, weren't you? Did you not think that would be something that we would have tried first and foremost? Or even off here? Pace. Rashford. Yeah, it, it was... very well, though, did it? He suffered, <laughs> suffered against Rashford. That was, yes. that, was, that was my concern, was just, yeah, you, you're putting uh, a defensive mid up against... And, and stats-wise, one of the best forwards in the league this year. Um, so it was it was a genuine concern. But I think Adam, you're right that it was all about pace and just, I guess, <laughs> being within two yards of him to to try and mitigate anything, as opposed to categorically stopping him. So, but yeah, it didn't didn't work in the first half, at least. Yeah, it was a tough one. Um, but it felt like the first half carried immediately on from minute 120, didn't it? It just felt like we were just, it was the same shit, different day. Did that not feel like that to you? Even though we obviously mixed up the teams a little bit and everything went along, it and obviously we, we can get into the second half too, it felt like we just played 210 minutes of the same game without either side being able to find the goal when really we could be sat here reviewing two Manchester United games in the space of, two episodes or whatever it is and talking about six to eight goals being scored if not more <laughs> between us in these two games it just for some reason the ball was not going in the back of the net in these two games was it it was weird sort of cancel each other out don't we uh, it's a uh, uh, what was we saw a difference in the second half and again i'm sure we'll, we'll get onto that and things started to unstick and especially towards the end of the second half where we were just like it was a it was a barrage and, and it was more of a case if that, if that penalty didn't happen, you walk away from that game thinking we should have, we should have won that. Um, but even from a stats, I don't know. I'm sure you've looked at this as well. It's, it wasn't drastically different across the board possession, almost identical to the Wembley game. Like not a lot of change in terms of just overall approach. De Gea was like spanking the ball less out from, from his own goal. But broadly it was just like, let's do this thing again. 
Um, and, and let's be honest, I think this is, we need to be aware that this is a Man United side that I know they've had a weird time of it, but for quite a while now, they've been beating sides. They've been doing well. And we are now, like, we've, we have enough, two games now that we've seen, we stand completely toe-to-toe with them, with the players they have and Ten Hag being lauded as the like long-term manager now at Man United. They've come off of beating Villa, a weird game against Spurs, beating Forest, beating Everton, beating Brentford, X, Y, and Z. Like, this is... I know it's weird to say this because of where we're at and it sounds stupid to say it, but we can stand up against pretty much any side. Uh, and I say that with a big asterisk against Man City. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're right though. I think we can, we can take the game to any team in this league, like you said, bar probably one. So, uh, I think but everyone says the same, you know, yeah, this yeah, is. yeah, exactly. So, but it is a, it is a, better man united team than previous right we're we're sort of we're we're in this mindset that they're a bit of a laughing stock but ten hag has come in and sort of settled the ship shall we say and they like you said they're they're third you know in the champions league places for a reason so it was just but just echoing what you guys both said it's just the continuation of the wembley game really um specifically that first half where just trying not to get countered too much. Um, it felt a little bit uncomfortable on the ball because everything seemed a bit cagey. Um, but it was just a very strange tale of two halves, should we say. Um, like you said, there's, there's really too much more to add on that first half. It was just, okay, this is just more of the same. Okay. Yeah, I, like you said, uh, we really can give anyone a game uh, on their day in this Premier League. And I feel like Wolves and Forest are feeling very similar right now. Uh, they're they're probably in a similar situation of wondering how on earth they just put six past them uh, and then beat Villa the next day. Uh, or Forest, uh, again, which is just a classic Brighton, isn't it, really? We we go to Forest, get beat 3-1, uh, and then go ahead and put six past Wolves and then beat United in the last second with, with a penalty. Um, it just it feels like a wild Premier League this year. Uh, but I feel like we say every year it gets weirder. Um but I feel like this one in particular, uh, with how close that relegation battle was for so long, right? Like, it feels like we're only just now getting to a point where teams are pulling out of that bottom eight. Um, it feels like this is this is the one, right? With the result yesterday for Wolves coming up for Everton tomorrow. Like, if we are going to snag a European place and they'll put those building blocks in place without putting too much pressure on tomorrow... Like this is this is the weekend and this is this is the season, isn't it? This is a really good opportunity for us with some of these bigger sides dropping off a little bit with your Chelsea's and Spurs having a meltdown. It has it has to be because there's but these types of seasons are incredibly rare. And by the way, while you're talking there, I don't know if anyone's <clears throat> this is stupid for people listening after the fact, but Arsenal have just absolutely thieved the goal from Newcastle to go 2 0 up. And it's the Newcastle fans have got to be absolutely furious. But again, that keeps things really interesting as as of as of recording right now. Uh, I think we've got what Newcastle on 65, Man United on 63, Liverpool 62, and then Spurs 57, us 55, and Villa 54. Of course, we've got these bundle of games in hand against a bunch of sides we don't want to actually play. Um, but yeah, this is you, you cannot look at this and think next year Liverpool are going to be in the same like weird breakdown early season situation. 
they're just not that they had to go through this sort of rebuilding thing. They're going to sign someone ridiculous or a couple of people ridiculous over the summer and they'll be firing on all cylinders. Spurs, I know they're Spurs, but that infrastructure, regardless of what happens to Harry Kane, they're going to splash some cash, all the stadium situation and everything there that they, they have to. Um, point being is we're going to have a really, really sort of rigid top group of sides with Newcastle now absolutely like solidifying themselves as a part of that grouping. Very long way of saying is that there's going to be this horrendous melee from like 7th through to 12th from this point onwards. And I haven't even mentioned Chelsea who are languishing in 11th position. And can you really imagine a repeat of that? There's no way. So like this is this is the year. Like we got to grasp it. Thankfully, fixture-wise, like although it may seem we've got a lot of games to play, if you look at Villa and Spurs, they've only got three games left and they've got to play each other. I was going to say, one's each other. Yeah. So that may, very, that may well like determine what happens. And Villa's fixtures are the most intriguing for me because thank God for Wolves. Because Villa have got to play Spurs, right, as their next game. They're then away to Liverpool, which is, you know, impactful too. Then it's us. So... I'm almost like eyeing Villa's fixtures more than I am our own of these last three games they've got to play. It's a lot, isn't it? There's a lot of teams playing each other and having a real impact. I think, like you said, you're sort of searching for other other teams' fixtures to see how they do. Like, all of my, like, I was just constantly refreshing the Spurs game and the Villa game yesterday, just hoping for, you know, a draw or something to go our way. Uh, but yeah, I... It's also in our own hands, right? We've, we've got to go to New, well, Newcastle, Arsenal, City, Villa. Like it's, it's tough, and it, it makes tomorrow's game or Monday's game against Everton just that more important because this and the Southampton game have to be three points apiece in order for us to to sort of maintain any sort of high hopes of, of fifth or sixth. So, um, but yeah, it, it makes the Man United win and that last minute winner even better as well, uh, and I think given that win, it started to become more of a reality for me. I think that was my tipping point because I've always been a bit half empty on it and we've got to beat teams. We've got to do something with these games in hand and we are doing something with those games in hand and that gives you a little bit of hope and, and actually says, all right, we've, we're going to give this a real go. Um, so that that was that was Thursday me, right? Was I, <laughs> I was ecstatic because we keep saying we need to do something with these games in hand and we actually did. Um, and we got our sort of just desserts at the end as well. So, um, but yeah, I think we'll, we'll go through the game, but it's the Everton game is so important. Yeah. The ref didn't have his best game in the world. Did he again uh, against United? Um, and if, if I'm a United fan, I'm probably not particularly happy with him either uh, because he let a lot, he didn't seem to have much control over the game from the minute the whistle was blown at the start. Um, at either end of the pitch. Casemiro and Anthony, let's talk about both because there's very solid arguments that both of them should have been off the pitch uh, before the end of that game even even got there. Um, what, did, what did you make of either of those? For me, the Casemiro one, I don't know how he hasn't got a second yellow card for like three niggly challenges after his first yellow and then that like absolute hack. For me, like... That's that's enough of a yellow card challenge without it, but like he was getting blown up for two or three really tiny fouls in between. Like that should be enough for me, right? Like, and the commentary team going, "Oh, if he wasn't on a first yellow, that's a yellow." Well, what? 
Like, what do you mean if that was like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we, why are we doing this? Um, for me, I thought it was absolutely a second yellow. Um, love to hear your views on it. And then what your entire thought process was behind Anthony in that second half. Um, because I think that was a big tipping point for us in terms of the momentum too. Uh, he lost his head as the game went on, I thought, and his threat became almost neg- negligible, which meant that they had to focus on Rashford. And by that way, we could focus on Rashford. Um, and however good he is, and he played really well, I thought, in spaces of that game, he can't do it all on his own. Uh, and Anthony falling off emotionally was was probably the point in which we were able to to take the game by the scruff of the neck. And then arguably... He should have been sent off too. What what did you make of the Casemiro and the Anthony situation? Yeah, I we can get into the whole orange card situation with the two yellows. And I I don't agree with it. It's been around for a while, right? Like a second yellow needs to be harsher than the first yellow. And it's just a weird concept in, in football in general. Uh it is a second yellow, regardless of how you see it or or whatever. I thought for all that he sort of has prepped up to be and you know he has made a difference this man united side he was very poor on thursday and i thought he deserved to be sent off with the the amount of fouls and, and i guess the one on McAllister and and CISO as well like he's just swinging legs um speaking of which i mean i don't know what anthony's thinking i i mean that's 80 million pounds right and i i just i don't see where the value is in him being on the pitch like just as petulant as Fernandez, I'm sure we can talk about him too. But I, I just I don't see what he brings to that side. Like if I'm a if I'm a Man United fan, like God forbid, like it, I'd I'd be questioning just why he's even starting or why he's even part of the squad. And um, and like you said, just a negligible output on that side means they have to go down the left. We can double team up on the left and nothing happens, right? So you know it weird. And it is a red card, right? You, you're talking about the Martellelli situation of two yellows in quick succession. Like, you just went and kicked McAllister, just an outright kick, and then decides to, to start on a six-foot-four dunk, which is very poor decision-making, again, um, off the pitch. Uh, it, Yeah, he shouldn't have been on the pitch anyway, and he was promptly substituted after that as well. So that, that probably tells you what you need to know. I have started to really despise quite a lot of Man United's existence and I've never liked the, t- the club. Um, the Between Bruno Fernandes and Anthony, I like... They are two of the most annoying dickhead footballers that I've come across in recent memory. I think the only reason Casemiro isn't just red-carded ev- every game is he's got like a little soft face, isn't he? He's sort <laughs> of just like, oh, you know, it's fine. It, and he's been hacking away in La Liga for a long time. But they just, you know, it's whatever in La Liga. Just do what you want. There's always some sort of random violent challenge. And they're like, hey, go for it. He's um, the anti-shacker. Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> but now it's like, I think, I mean, he's been sent off quite a lot recently. And he absolutely should have been gone as well. And then, yeah, Anthony's just, he's just a little idiot. He's just a petulant little idiot. He's not very good. Uh, and he's getting annoyed because he's not good because he's coming, you know, out from the farm and 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 into a real league with all due respect to the Eredivisie, and he's crap. Uh, and he, yeah, he should have been gone. And it, I, whenever a footballer gets that level of like fury and anger on their face, like he got, 
I think that's when, as a referee, you need to step in and, and it, it moves from a situation where you give them the benefit of the doubt to, well, clearly you're pissed off. So you probably did this intentionally. Um, and the rest, don't, they're not, they don't seem particularly good at that. I, I get vivid like flashbacks. I think it was, I remember way back in the day, I think it was Arsenal Man you and Martin Keown's like leap where he looked like a vampire and his face was just contorted. And that's Anthony to send him off, man. Like he's, he, look at him. He's, he's, he's absolutely furious. Like get rid of him. Um, so yeah, that annoyed me. Uh, but uh, th- there should be, uh, I, I don't want to go off on the refs, but they are, they are rubbish and there's no consistency. And we've talked about it to the end of the earth and we'll continue to do so. Ad nauseum, I think is the mm-hmm. phrase. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, yeah, uh, quite how Lewis Dunk got yellow card here, by the way, for that situation. Just is just it's the cherry on top, I think. Um, just that's, absolutely astounding. That's, it. that's an equal punishment for Dunk and Anthony in that in that series of events, and that's why it's just so shambolic. Yeah, uh, um, I, t- I tell you what, I do like though. I like how much Enciso winds everyone up. Because he's starting to really annoy Platt and he really annoyed Shaw. He's like, he's annoying everyone. Because he does, what's the best way of saying this? He is enticed to um, lose control of his body and flop on the floor a little bit when he is nudged and that. And it's, remember we've talked before about how maybe our team is a little bit too nice or has been prior to this season. And there's not, they don't have that kind of like, gamesmanship and that came to light when we played Brentford but earlier in the season the Brentford players were doing everything they can to like waste time and get fouls tell you what Enciso will do that for you uh and it helps it helps as much as we don't like to look at it and we complain about it like he you need a little bit of that it doesn't need to be everyone yeah, I, there's more than just him at this point. Alexis is a bastard for it too. He leaves his foot in just enough, doesn't he? In almost every tackle where he's not going to get booked for it, but he is absolutely going to hurt people just enough to like wind them up. And like he knows exactly what he's doing. Um, he's, and even Caicedo as well. Like not the not the nastiness, but the getting going to ground. Like Caicedo loves going to ground if he's like been caught out. Not often, but like we've got that group of players now that are learning the dark arts as necessary. And if you want to be a team that are challenging for seventh and above, it's really shit, but like you have to have people who are versed in that. And oh, people won't like hearing it, but Matoma as well, right? There's, there's a couple of instances in, in that game and a couple of games where he, he uh, goes down a little easy. Um, and, you know, and like you said, I think, it's part of the game, right? It's part of the parcel. Everyone else does it. Like we've been a little bit too nice and maybe naive to the concept. Um, but that's the type of refereeing that we have, right? I, I hate to sort of loop it back to the shite officiating that we have. But if you feel it necessary to exaggerate so that the refs actually see it for once, then that seems to be something you need to do. Um, I think there's those sort of bits. The, the McAllister one, just as you were talking about him as well, he he sort of jumps in two-footed a little bit a couple of times as well and and just hits the floor like just before the, the tackle happens. So it's technically not. Um, but as there's a there's a nastiness there as well. But you know, it we we complain about it against us a lot. I think there are 
there are some times where we also need to participate in that and and we are so uh it's not a it's not an off topic sort of conversation is it is that we need to acknowledge the fact that it happens and it happens against us and we can we can play in that too i'm not sure if uh, let's talk about the penalty in the in alexis himself so there's a, a couple of good stats that mikey sent my way um on Statman the other day yeah the stat man um he sent one over saying Brighton's winning goal against uh, Manchester United scored by Alexis McAllister was the latest winning goal scored against Manchester United in Premier League history. Uh, timed at 98 minutes and 16 seconds. Uh, best part of that was it's also the latest penalty scored in a Premier League match since Bruno Fernandes for Manchester United in the fake res- resumption game that will never, ever be allowed to be forgotten for being a farce. Um, both of you, I think, will... Adam, you may have been in a work meeting at the time. I'm not. I can't remember who, what you saw of it. Um, but to me, this is for once in our freaking lives this year. This was watching VAR be used correctly, not just across our games, but across the Premier League. Like I've seen so many shit decisions as a neutral watching football every week. Like that, I just think like, how have they not done this? How have they done like the the classic lines at Brentford Arsenal, right? Like that have possibly decided title race. The the all of them, like there's so many. Um, but for once, because I don't know about you, I I didn't see that handball at all. Did you? Did either of you two get even as so much as a sniff of that coming off of Short's arm? No, no, not at all. So like when they said that VAR was checking something, I had no idea. I was like, what? I was like, whatever they're checking is going to be checked very quickly because I didn't see anything going on in that box. And they showed like a replay at the time and like I couldn't see any contact really. Nobody went down. I was just like, I don't know what this is even being checked for. Like there was no goal. Like, there was no offside. Like I, I didn't. Did you have any idea until they said it? Like I, I didn't even have an inclination of what they were looking for. I saw a couple of appeals, but I was mainly, and I was watching the last part live. Uh, I was mainly. Uh, incredibly overwhelmed by the fact that it felt like at that moment we'd had like four decent opportunities to win the game and we just couldn't make it happen so that there was just it was just a a lot of stuff going on which is probably why I think we didn't notice it I fully expected when the ball went out for the throw in that the I I thought I heard the fiver whistle I was about to just be annoyed um and yeah, you're right. Like it was the case of, hold on, the referee has been told to just hold the throw-in coming out again. Let's have a look at this. And even the commentators took them three views to see it happen as well. So I, yeah, credit where it's due. They, they they did the right thing. And then he went to have a look at it. It was clear because he didn't take a long look at it that the VAR had told him, look, man, it's pretty blatant. Just go over there and have a little glance at it. Because he was already trying to like go back and like call it. And he was like, ah, oh, there we go. Yeah, done. Let's do it. And I guess we'll get on to talk about the penalty, but a, a time stood still. Like it was the interstellar planet where they went to, and they're like, every minute here is like ten years on Earth. <laughs> like, that's what it felt like. I was like, is there some? Is he had like a breakdown? Uh, and it just felt like forever. Uh, and then he just just absolutely whacked it, didn't he? And that was. After the whistle, vibes at the Amex looked incredible. I was very, very sad not to be a part of that. It looked like an awesome atmosphere. 
the fear that settled in me when it looked like Solly was standing over the <laughs> I don't. I thought they were going to give it to him as well. Like, third time's a charm, mate. Go on. I genuinely... Craig, did you think that was going to happen to... Like, I really thought that they were actually going to do... Because I, oh, he I was thought, there. I, I thought they were as well. Like, I think there was, there was a couple of screenshots after the fact where... McAllister took the ball and sort of ran to the corner flag just to be out of the whole procedure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you saw him sort of shaping up and standing in the box, and you're like, please don't. Like the poor, the poor guy, if he misses this, is gonna break the guy. So yeah, I I mean, there's there's a there's a few obviously Twitter things going around and how long McAllister takes, but I think he just took the ball and moved away from the situation. But I, I was very I was worried. It was just like that seems like such a Brighton thing to do. It's just let's let's give this to the only person that missed the penalty in the semi-final. <laughs> it just would have like been like my, the worst. It would have been the worst joke ever. Like my eyes were like roving around that pitch. I was like, where the because the number ten? Where is where is the number? <laughs> what is going on? Where is like why can't I see him? Like what? Why is Solly still there? Like please stop! Right, this is this is really worrying me. Like this is not what we need to see. And then he just like you said, he suddenly just pops out of the corner with the ball in his hand all along. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Um, and yeah, like you said, uh, the wait then for that kick. Um, he said himself in the post-match interview, he gave a really good post-match interview. If you haven't seen it, you should go catch it um, because it was very good. Um, he talked a lot about how much he loves it there. Um, and the thing that he talked about, the main thing that he loves uh, is the fact that he gets to be a role model to the young South American players. This is a 24-year-old that's talking about like enjoying his mentor role. Um like what like what culture are we creating in this club where 24 year olds feel like the mentors like that's something pretty special as well um reminds and... me of a hook he's like rufio in hook am i angling myself <laughs> <with> that reference <laughs> a little bit uh yeah. the gen z is like turn yeah, it off what immediately. Is that? i've only watched You're the new one yeah. that came out last week yeah <laughs> uh penalty though how did you feel did you did you think that what what were your feelings? What was your mojo like going into that penalty kick? Did you think he was going to score, miss? Obviously, we're facing. I enjoyed the commentators' like comment. I don't know if you heard it, but they were like, you know, McAllister's got a really good record from penalties. Blah 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 blah. They were like, but De Gea is De Gea, and like my idea was like, yeah, like shit at penalties, like really yeah, really yeah. bad at them. <laughs> you just made two of the same point. So uh, yeah, I I I am not afraid to admit I did a deserby and didn't watch um or just sort of just baited breath um it was one of those where he obviously knows how to take a penalty sort of five out of five everyone knows designated penalty taker but a small part of me was going it would be so bright in the hove albion if we didn't have this because i think adam to your point like we should have won the game anyway right and and we're sort of we're feeling a little bit bereft and a bit a bit aggrieved by the, the current situation so when that happened it was like this this is such a bright thing to do to go and miss this so like regardless of his record and regardless of thing i think the situation was so just high octane and and we had to finish uh yeah i i didn't watch it to be completely honest but uh i quietly confident but i was i was fearing the worst because it seems like something that we would do i was stood up for the last 10 minutes uh, especially that and not a lot gets me to stand up uh and that 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 the end of the game made me stand up uh especially that penalty and i was i was bouncing on my my the 
balls of my feet when he was just like a statue standing over it. Um, but tell you what, it wasn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter if it was De Gea, like the, the scarecrow in the goal. Like it, it could have been, I don't think many people are saving whatever he did with that. Um, I don't yeah. think anyone's saving it. I really don't. No. I, but like, yeah, the Solly thing was funny, wasn't it? Like, I think if you, if you, if you, if he's like, no, guys, I'm doing it, redemption, he misses it. I think that's retirement, isn't it? I think you just got to step away. If not, you're sort of, you, is it Euro, Euro 98? Was it Southgate? I can't remember when it was. 96. 90, Euro 96. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was World Cup 98. Yeah, Euro 96. Bag on, it's pay, like, bag on the heads. Uh, Pizza Hut adverts all over again. Like that's what would have happened with Solly in the in the Brighton sphere if that was the case. So again, AJ Donatello's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That's the Pizza's gone now. Yeah, Donatello's down in Brighton. Yeah. Uh, so what? <laughs> what a great, great end to it. Like it really was. And I think in talk about anyone else, but there's been the ton of not rumours, I suppose, because it feels like news, right, coming out of all the interactions and going back and forth between um, the agents for McAllister and Liverpool and this sort of inevitability that he is, I quote, 100% leaving Brighton in in the summer. Uh, Makes you sad, and it makes you sad for what you've outlined there as well. He's he's being a mentor, and it, it feels like a guy that has grown with the club we've grown with him and he's grown with us and this all his departure i think will be one of the ones that i'll be saddest about because it finally feels like we've got a player here that represents this age of the club this era this pool of players that we have um but it's been around long enough to have the identity of brighton before this season before the one last and it feels you know, look, if we get 80 million quid for him, uh, I'll change my tune a little bit. But uh, at the same time, it's, it's sad. It's sad. It almost, uh, it's, it is like the, the, the generational crossing too, right? Like he has like the, the togetherness of what that early Premier League Brighton looked like, but he's got that, I'll de-age myself now. I, he's got that drip, that swagger, like that, like you're the, talking a different language. I've no like, idea what you're saying, <laughs> but he, you know what I mean. He's got that style that, like, is what Brighton wanted to be all along, and what Bloom wanted us to look like all along, and what is becoming under Deserby. Like, he's he's and winning a World Cup does an awful lot to a man's swagger, right? Like, I'm sure yeah. at 24 years old, um, and I think like since then, like, he's came back and it's just saturated itself through the whole club of like. This is who we are. These are the people we have in our starting eleven, and this is what we bring to the table. Beat us if you can, um, and that's. I, I mean, I was like, I was like thinking, I was tempted to pinch myself at five minutes in when you were talking about the fact that Brighton and Manchester United are just so evenly matched. We just can't figure each other out, and I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> it's worth it's worth it's worth bringing this up fairly often because it's just too easy to like get caught up in this season, is it? It's too easy to be like, yeah, we are, we've earned, we, we we deserve to be here, which we do, but it's mad. Yeah, I mean, we're to- we're talking about selling one of our players for eighty million pounds, and we're we're sat here at the time of recording, still well in a chance of Europe, odds on with some of the bookies, right? And you know, there's there's a bit of <laughs> A bit of reflection there to go. This is mental. 
like utterly crazy as to what we've previously seen and you saw some of it last year but it is a one of the best seasons you'll ever see especially with the changing of your entire backroom staff losing two of your best players at the start like I know this is just going to be ad nauseum for some people right a bit like we say this stuff all the time and and we don't really sort of you kind of have to remind yourself every now and then that this is a, a mental season that we're going through. And the fact that we can sit here and go, yeah, we can take points off any team in the league bar one, I think. Um, and it's just silly. Uh, McAllister in particular, you know, you can be a mental when you've probably won a World Cup at 23, right? So I think that that probably helps with the old team talks. Um, but you're right. It, he's He embodies what Brighton is at this point. Um, and there's a lot going around saying, you know, 80 million will, will sort of soften the blow. But I see some tweets out there saying he's replaceable. And I think it's just Cod's wallet. I think, like, as soon as he does leave, you'll see a, a very big hole in that midfield. Um, especially if we let Caicedo leave at the same time, you're talking your entire double pivot is gone. Um, that's. <laughs> utterly frightening to me and, could I uh, interest you in a 38 year old journeyman Englishman <laughs> that has played or at the highest level a like for like replacement or a 21 year old record signing from Brazil mm. that has experience in the Premier League already it's not I like bad. imagine not playing uh, uh, next year just like Ferguson up top João Pedro behind him get Buenanote in there in CISO. Matoma, I know he's a little bit older, but just put out a team of South team American sub-21 year olds. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> this is it's honestly a football manager player well. wet dream, the Brighton team next year, I think, honestly. Uh, just James Milner and Adam Lalana splashed in there. So you've got some sort of homegrown, mature representation. And then a bunch brings, of brings the age brings the age median up like a ton just from two <laughs> yeah. players. Yeah, Brighton's average age actually like 25, albeit, yeah, just two <laughs> OAPs and a bunch of kids. Yeah. yeah, it's been absolutely ruined by 32-year-old Lewis Dunk, 33-year-old Welbeck and 32-year-old Jason Steele. Um, let's talk about him first and foremost. There's some players I do want to specifically drill down on, and Jason Steele is one of them, um, because there was some conversation prior to the Forest game as to whether he'd win his spot back or argue whether it was even lost in the first place, what that goalkeeper rotation was going to look like, right? Because Sanchez had to come in via necessity. Steele was hurt. He then didn't do really much wrong at all at Wembley as well. Clean sheet, right? What was the idea? Did we think he was going to be brought back in? He was. He then promptly shipped three at Forest and then kept a clean sheet while he scored six against Wolves. He's came back into the side. And for me, I thought he made some tremendous saves this week. I thought he made some good... Mm -hmm. They were saves I expected him to make. I expect a Premier League goalkeeper to make those saves. But, and I've said this a few times before, the way he is capable of making saves and making sure that that ball, if it is too hard to catch, is pushed out into areas that are not dangerous. I found him do that time and time again. And it's something that Bob doesn't do enough of. And I think that he doesn't get as much credit in a game like Thursday. But if you go back, he actually made quite a few really important saves. And every single one of them, if they weren't being caught, they were being pushed out into really clever, sensible areas 
on what probably is just instinct, right? At that level, like you don't, it's like the Formula One like racing, right? Like you don't like think about it beforehand. You've got seconds when Rashford's blasting a ball at your face, like you've got to get it out. I, I think it's really impressive that Jason Steele at 32 years old and not even a sniff of being a first team Premier League goalkeeper is now suddenly slotting into this team and looking like he's probably going to be the man between the sticks at when we qualify for Europe, if we do. Maybe J- Jason still Kevin Magnuson parallels, who starts in fourth at Miami, has a recording, uh, similar type of position. The, and this is what I think is, well, we've talked a little bit about this before, but how this Zerbi just came in, made made a decision, saw enough from Sanchez, was like, no, still just works better in the system. And he does. Uh, and that's, now we're just playing this. Think of the fall off. If you're Robert Sanchez, this is a guy that was in the Spain national team. And how many rumours were flying about about this guy being poached from one of the bigger clubs? Like They want the young Spanish international goalkeeper that's playing for Brighton and doing well. Deserby comes in and says, oh, yeah, well, I don't really like you, mate. A couple of mistakes. I'm going to put this 32-year-old bloke in there instead that's never really done anything. And everyone's now like, wow, Jason Steele is pretty incredible. And this sums, it sums everything up. The, the result of Deserby's team and the play style is that the value of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. We've got some fantastic players in this team. But together in the system and the way they work, and we talked about this, I think, via WhatsApp the other day, you pluck one of these players out and put them somewhere else. I don't know. Here's an example. Eve Basuma. What's that done? He was incredible in the Brighton system, and now he doesn't even get, he can't even get a game at Spurs, and they're abject. He's injured, though, too, isn't he? He's I mean, when he was playing, game. he looked like he was injured as well. No, I agree. <laughs> I, I agree. But, but yeah, he wasn't late. setting the world. It wasn't like when he played, you were like, wow, God, what a signing they've made. I don't know Trossard's done some stuff a little bit at Arsenal, but Trossard was our guy. Trossard was, uh, I mean, it's still like he's still high on the assist table. So I know he's been fairly impressive, but like this is a group of players and Jason Stills included in that, that grouping whereby... I think on paper and in other teams, you look at them individually and you go, ah, there ain't much there. And you put this group together and something incredibly special happens. I think it's more, I have to be careful the way I word this, but it's more that players play better here as opposed to worse at other clubs, right? And that's a fair point. Sort of the environment that has been sort of manifested and built over a period of years allows players to come in and not only achieve their potential, but possibly pay better than they probably thought they would um and i feel like jason Steele is one of those right you know he doesn't have a, an excellent track record but i think you come into this team you're given the time the i guess the the training and i guess the belief and the attitude uh, to to play at this sort of level and you take it with both hands that's up to the individual but i think the environment is is just there to help players be the best that they can possibly be and that's why you see some players move off into shocking environments like Tottenham. I do kind of feel bad for Yves Basuma because that's just a ramshackle of a club. Um, or you're a Kukurea who deserves everything that he gets, but also has come into a complete nonsense of a, of a football club as well. Um, but it's just, it's the perfect environment for for someone like Jason Steele. And we, again, we can mention his distribution until the cows come home, but again, he's so calm on the ball and is able to beat whatever press comes at him. He's able to pick a man. He's so comfortable and calm on it. Um, 
it's just very happy for him. And I think if there's there's a YouTube video out about all of this sort of stuff where he does open up a little bit. It's like an eight or nine minute video about his as his um his recent elevation and what he went through. But it, yeah, seems like a, a cracking bloke as as all of our players do. Um, but he fully deserves the game time as well at this point. It's I would go further than it just being a recent thing too though. I would argue it's almost a Tony Bloom thing. Like since Tony took over the club, leaving Brighton has not often been a good decision by players to make. Um, and I think it comes from the top down and the patience that he is willing to show in his managers and the patience he is willing to show to get to the end destination of wherever he's wanting to go next. And I think it seeps through the whole club. And you see it, like, look at, you can go back and look at a couple of players from way back when, right? David Stockdale. How good was he? How good was he as a Brighton and Albion goalkeeper? And how bad has he been since? Anthony Knockup. How good was he at us? And then how much has he fell off since? And how much was he not that great at Leach? Like, his stats weren't great after he left Leicester. Like, he had one good season. And then dropped off in Belgium. Like, this is not... There's a handful, right, that you can look at Ashley Barnes being one of that kind of era where you look at it and go, he's done nothing but been horribly consistent ever since he left, right? He's been very, very effective at what he does. But for the most part, and now you're doing it again, right? Bissouma under Potter, Kukrea under Potter. McAllister is not going to be the Alexis McAllister we see this week, next week, and the week after, he is not going to be that player at Liverpool because he's just not like he's, he's given something here that they don't get anywhere else. And I, I really do think that, it, I mean, how long did it take Ben White to get there? And how special is this Arsenal team that Arteta has worked incredibly hard to put together? And what does that, what's that attribute that pairs them both together? Patience and belief in the system and what Arteta is trying to build for better or worse. I'm I'm going to save this clip for when McAllister wins the Ballon d'Or. In a few years. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's the, the, the couple of exceptions. Really, I think Ben White's a good one, and, and Dan Byrne, right? I, I mean, it was stealing from the game that's just happened between Newcastle and Arsenal. Um, but it's not like Dan Byrne's been necessarily a standout in Newcastle. Fabian Share, Kieran Trippier, Pope uh, have been bigger stars in that sort of defensive unit. But he's been he's been good, and Ben White's been impressive as well. But you're right, you, there's. Just going to a, quote, bigger side takes you out of this safe haven at Brighton, as weird as it sounds. And, and look, you want, a, you want a bigger example of that? Look at Potter. Like, th- this is a setup that enables people and players to do their best. And you go to one of these places where the setup isn't as good and it just falls away. And I think, as, as we've said, Newcastle and Arsenal this year are exceptions to that. I'm desperately trying to think of what podcast I went on and I've been on there. I think it's send him off. It's a couple of Swansea fans. Lovely lads. Like they're brilliant lads. They have a season preview for what every team they have a fan come on. And I've been there like Brighton one for the last two years. Um, and they were talking at the time, at the beginning of this season, the rumors of Piro that was going to come to us or like wanted out of Swansea. And we were one of the ones that were rumored for Potter and, they, it's quite funny because they said the same thing when Potter left that because they got in 
Was it Cooper? I think it was Cooper post Potter. But they said that everything Potter had built, he took and improved on, like, across the board. And I was like, well, that's like that's just Swansea being a basket case. And now I'm sat here looking at Deserby do what he's doing, and I'm thinking, like, there's a trend here. Like, this is a worrying trend for a man like Potter because if he does it again at a club and he gets time and patience and he builds them up to be a certain level and then they he goes somewhere else or whatever happens and they bring someone else and it simply gets better, he's going to become a person that looks like he's a project starter and not a project finisher. Um, and they are horrible labels to get as a manager. Um, it is not great. Uh, I've got a Mikey stat here as well just to add. There to was this. Cooper, by the way. You were right. It was, yeah. Um, I know that you were just talking about how well this year is going um, this season. Uh, we have, Brighton have now set a club record for most points won in the top division ever. Like, not just Premier League, just ever in our history. Um, we obviously, with six games remaining, we've already set top division club season records for most wins and goals scored as well. Um, this isn't just one of the best seasons in our history. This is categorically the best season in Brighton Obalwins. 122 year history like without fail so we should we should be enjoying it it's hard to sometimes when you watch us get dicked for three goals at forest uh when you sat there after a drive up but uh it's it is something that you you should really be savoring um because like like you said adam like these don't come around very often um Man of the match. Let's talk man of the match. Uh, and just any other standouts that you want to talk about in that game, really, that popped up. Um, either one of you can start. Who have you got? Go, go on, on, Craig. No, I, I was going to I was gonna go bad and then start good again. So I, I was, <laughs> was going to say, uh, I, the first half is obviously a bit of a toss-up, but I thought Matoma was poor in that first half. And I don't think... I can go the whole pod without bringing that up because I, I just thought he had the perfect chance to square that to NC. So there's a couple of runs there yeah, where he, he has did. he has been dealt. Wambasaka is a very good one-on-one defender. I don't think I'm going to shy away from that, but I, I don't think he had his best game, arguably probably one of his worst games um, and just not being able to create. And um, that said, he was part of that sequence where we did get the penalty. He did get it on target. Like He is a, a tremendous asset for us just didn't have the best game for me um and hopefully uh i don't know if we're going to start rotating again for tomorrow or for the everton game but um we'll we'll see but i expect him to bounce back from that i i think he needs to be better than that um in order to keep it because we, we saw what nciso can do in that position um shout outs to kaisedo for playing right back for most of the game and still being able to to run the show it's just the the guy is everything right and we we talk about McAllister and how calm he is and what he does uh, but the ability for a world-class defensive mid to go and fight Rashford at right back and actually come out of it smelling like roses is just it can't be understated um I thought Webster had an amazing game too um I think he's been on fire the last few games um he got put into right back and then decided to up his progressive stats because he was running, <laughs> barreling down the right-hand side as well. Um, but I think, man of the match, just to wrap it up, I think it's probably going to be Lewis Dunk for me as normal. I think he's just up there. Um, 
as the back of his players obviously try to push Anthony back to Brazil um, and is just able to dictate the game. He's just the spy, the, the spine of the team and especially that defence. Um, I'm going for for our captain for for that for that game. Well, Craig did cheat a bit because he did name 10 players. Yeah, uh, I did. I what, settled on one, though. I did yeah, you did, you did. I uh, saw the thunder a little bit. The I thought, I hear you loud and clear on Matoma, but there were also a couple of times where he danced around some defenders and it was just like <clears throat> different day. Scores two was this one, you know, something like that. There was a, there was a lot of chances like that. And, and yeah, I agree with you. He's played a lot of time. He's played a lot of football. And he wasn't playing this much football seasons prior. Um, I'm going to cheat. It's, it's McAllister for me. <clears throat> I'll take the layup. Uh, there's a lot there's a lot of balls on you to just seemingly time stand still over a penalty where the game is arguably completely over. Your entire stadium is sat there with with you know their breath held, waiting for you to hopefully get the points that that maybe are the difference between you having a, a, a European tour or not. Um, gigantic cojones on that man. At 24 years old, it's I, I'm gonna like be the guy that like just like pretends to tap it in from the layup because like, I'm stealing it too. Like McAllister for me, like his stats are outright good too. Like I don't know if you've looked at them, but like he only Duncan Webster had more touches of the ball than him. His pass accuracy was 91.5%, which is absolutely nuts. Like barely anybody, like only Billy Gilmore of all people had better than him. Shout uh, out to Billy Gilmore, the by pitch. the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had a, three key passes. Only Solly March had more. Um, he was excellent. He was really good. Um, and once again, it's back in that double pivot role that all three of us like him in. Like he's back where it feels like he belongs at Brighton, even if he doesn't want to be there. Um, it's it's something that he seems to excel in alongside Moises Caicedo. Um, we have seen. Pascal Gross excel there too. And at some point you have to turn around and go, how much is this to Moises Caicedo show that allows everybody else to just look tremendous next to him? Um, Caicedo wasn't next to him for a lot of that game. No, you're right. So, you know, actually, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, But he was excellent, him and Gilmore. Um, But yeah, I think Deserby said it, didn't he? You could read him talking about how big Alexis's balls were to be able to do that. but it wasn't just like an average pen or like De Gea going the wrong way. Like he, like it was an unsavable pen. But like it was unsavable. Like it was the perfect pen, and it was in the ninety eighth minute of like it's just unbelievable. Like unreal. Um, let's finish Mikey's stats as well. The stat man. Well, yeah, um, I mean, he's, he's fueled about forty five minutes of conversation. He sent me nine. He sent oh, me nine my. images. Uh, he's, I tell you, I think he's just going to have to become like part of the pod at some point. He chats so much and uh, he's now sending me like research on the side. We're going to get sued. We're going to have to put him on payroll. It's his export. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So we're talking about the fact that we can give anyone a game in the league. Um, Mitoma thinks we can give anyone in the world a game. He thinks we should be in the Champions League. Uh, I don't think we will be. Um, some of the stats back him up. Uh, under Deserby, post Potter era, uh, the attacking stats per game in Europe's top five leagues in 2023, uh, we have the highest XG of anybody. Only Manchester City, 
Dortmund, Real Madrid, and Newcastle are the closest ones below us. That uh, we are top of that table. Uh, most shots per game, um, we are top of that table too. Uh, Feels like it as well. Six. Yeah, 18.66. Real Madrid are 18.64. Uh, and Inter Milan are just below them as well. Bayern Munich and Arsenal round out the top five. Just bear in mind these names that we're talking about. Man City, Dortmund, Madrid, Madrid, Milan, Munich. Um, shots on target as well. We're second in all of Europe for most shots on target per 90. Dortmund is the only one higher than us. Um, and then Munich, Madrid and Lille on that list as well. Um yeah, this really has been quite an insane speed in which Deserbi has transformed this team into what he wants it to look like. And if we get Europe and we back him as much as we should in the summer, the, the sky's the limit, isn't it, really, as to what he could possibly do with this football team? I'll get a small dig in. How much do you think the shots on target are down to Solly March smacking it around down the middle of the keeper? <laughs> Six, 60, 70% of that. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not, it, okay, let's go, let's go back to that moment in time where the doom had set in. It, we were, every, everyone left. We were like, I don't even know who's going to be manager. What the hell is going to happen at this club? And if at the time, let's let's say I'm some eccentric, mad billionaire and we were all in a room and I had a gun to your head and I said, I want you to bet for your life on whether Brighton finished top seven or bottom seven, would you have said top seven or bottom seven at that moment? Because I, I, I would have said bottom seven in a, a heartbeat. Well, yeah, it just said, well, like you said, it was doom and gloom, right? And it was like, everything's falling apart here. So, um, yeah. Obviously, we, we can't understate just what a mental season this is. And I think we just need to, like, reeling off stats where we're competing with City, Madrid, like, these sort of teams. And if if anyone tells you that, you know, it's a, just a flash in the pan and that, you know, the Zerbies just building on Potter's foundations that it's, it's just so strange like it's an outrageous job that people are doing and the amount of plaudits that we get are wholly justified because the football that we're playing relative to wage cost ratio whatever you want to call it is outrageous um yeah it, try and enjoy it it's the hope that kills you but I think this at, at this point it's just an outrageous season even if it ends right now yeah, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I agree with you um, with the bottom seven situation. I think we said on that emergency podcast when everything was on fire that, like, we had a great start. We got, like, 15 points on the board already and, like, we need to just focus on hitting 40 and don't worry about the rest. Like, that's it now. Like, we need to recalibrate, get whoever the hell we're going to get in, like, do whatever we need to do. I'm pretty sure at the time we were like, let's just see what Bruno can do. That went aged tremendously in the next 48 hours. Um, and just go from there and let's just focus on stabilizing the ship and see what we can do for like, let's just try and stay up, like make sure that we can stay up, stay comfortable, keep everybody we can in January and keep the ship together. And now look, so yeah, 
it's well, we're still depending on where you get your data from because it's hard to even understand this but consensus wise if you even compare like five six seven different sources we're either bottom two or bottom five in terms of wage bills in the premier league and that's just what we're achieving is 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 madness like beyond just like a good season like last year came down to the final game right and we like snatched a position that was an incredible season this is just just, like Twilight Zone stuff. Yeah, I mean, you, you've secured top ten with seven games to go. Like you, you give, like especially last year where you sort of creep in, like you said, the, like the the final whistle, of the last game. You know, you're securing a top top half finish, and it's like it's nothing, right? And and that's, I guess, that's the the telltale of just where we are and how well this this team is doing this year. To bring us back very much down to terra firma, though. Um, I look at our fixture list and I'm I'm absolutely terrified, mm-hmm. terrified uh, at what we have to do because the easy games are at home and bar Man City, which I don't even consider it the same sport, every other, like <laughs> all the hard games are away. So Arsenal away, Newcastle's away, Villa's away. Um, what I, I just don't want it to come down to the European place being decided in that that game against Villa on the final day, like because that it's too much stress. But I'd rather know or know that we're in or out prior to that point. And I guess the other thing that could potentially occur, and I don't know if this is still mathematically impossible, so possible. And we need we need Mikey to to come in here and confirm <laughs> this. But the only reason the top seven would qualify for Europe is because of Man United, you know, getting the crap cup way through to the conference league right or whatever it was so if, if they were to finish outside i think of the top six then it wouldn't they would earn that still it wouldn't then just go to someone else so if man city lose man united rather lose all the rest of their games and then the table changes it would only be top six that qualifies for europe because man you would finish outside and then get awarded it through the cup process so some some tomfoolery can very much still happen in this this whole situation, and I, I don't. Every game at this point, the, the cliche of must win game sort of comes into play, doesn't it? And you're like, we sort of have to beat Everton, we have to beat Southampton at home, so we'll probably lose both of those games and then try and win against one of the other sides. But I, it's terrifying. Well, let's talk about the most the the, the one coming up tomorrow then. Um, see if I can give you some information that makes you feel a little better. Um, Everton have won one away game all season. That's it, one. Uh, they haven't won a match in their last seven, uh, and they haven't won an away game in their last 15. Uh, and they are ranked last in goals scored per game. Do You said this is meant to make me feel better. This makes me feel worse. <laughs> uh, this is a game that we have to be targeting, right? We simply have to be targeting to, to get a result from. Um, they'd had a crunch game against Leicester uh, and snagged a point from that one. Uh, they got they had a big game against Palace and snagged a point off of that, uh, and they played an absolutely hilariously bad Spurs side that got a draw from. But anytime they're running up against a team with any kind of quality behind them, Newcastle, Fulham, Manchester United, uh, they're being beaten quite comfortably and they don't look like they even really want to be on the pitch um i'm not saying they look wolves bad because <laughs> that was quite insane 
but they they look like they don't want to be there. Whenever I watch an Everton game in the last couple of weeks, like it looks like they outright have no interest. There's no fight. There's no effort. Like it just looks like they they have no ambition to be there. Um, now, if you're a Goodison, I'd feel a lot less confident. Um, but come on, you've got it. You've got to feel good about tomorrow at the Amex. Surely you've got to have some optimism. No, 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 I don't. <laughs> Greg, what do you feel about it? No, no, I don't at all. I think it's just the idea of coming against the Sean Dyche side that is just going to come for a point just is, yeah, very worrisome for me. You're going to try and break down a very stubborn Everton side that are not going to press like we need them to press. Um, so that's my worry, is that that's just going to play into their side. Is You're talking about a very low block with very, very tall players. Um it is going to be tough. We're going to have to break them down. Um, do I think we have the ability to do it? Absolutely. We've done it to nearly every team in this league, right? But it's not going to come easily and they're not going to make it easy for us. Um, scoring in the first 15 minutes, we win, right? And I, and I think that that kind of is the sentiment. But it's just going to be how how long is it going to take us to potentially score, if at all? That That's my concern because I, I think they're just coming for a point. The key part here is, in terms of player rotation as well, we have we have our last decent break after this. We have an eight-day break between this and our next game against Arsenal. So if you're going to rotate your team or try and you know measure expectations, it's probably not going to be as impactful on Deservey's thought process tomorrow, don't you think, with such a long break between the two? Mm. This is going to depend on fitness as well. If he can get away with it, I think he rests. He rests everyone that couldn't play last time. Like that. He rests the Gross. He rests the the Fergusons. You don't want to bring one of these back too early, and suddenly you're 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 messing things around. Maybe you can switch some players a little bit than what you you played against Manu. But yeah, I agree. Maybe maybe he just tries to kind of push through um, until you mm. get that that bit of time. But I don't. I'm just looking at it. It's such a weird, the, the, the team talk to the sides at the bottom of the league is easier in the, at this moment in this, especially the ones that have played like those bottom three sides have played 34 games, right? They've got four games left. Leeds have played 35 as of, as of recording. And there's the talk going around and that like, can you get out of the relegation with just one win? Can you get just one win? Is that going to save your season? And I just envisage Daesh squealing at me with his like guttural voice. Uh, you can go and get a game against the tight, get, get three points against the tired Brighton. If we were playing bloody someone at right back. I, I, we'll see. I, I, I will feel a lot better after this game because then expectations for the other ones, you, you're like, okay, let's just try and pick up a point in these away games and see what we can get. And hopefully like the Villa situation sorts itself out and Spurs continue being Spurs. Like that's, that's the hope. Yeah. It's the expectation for me, isn't it? Or just, just, I guess the emphasis putting on this game that we need three points from because the, the other fixtures, Bar Southampton are tough. So you sort of, you do your best there, right? But yeah, uh, again, I'm I'm sort of going back on myself. I think, do they come for the point or do they know that they need three? If they, if they come and actually try and win the game, 
then I think we have a, a much greater chance. And, and given their predicament in the league on what, not too many points, um, they, they may have to come and thinking that they need to win, in which case that probably lends itself quite well to us. I mean, looking at their final fixtures, they're they horrible. Man City right after us. Yeah. If they want, if they want, if they want to get results. It needs to start at us, and then they have Wolves away, and then Bournemouth at home to finish the season off. So, it's it is very much not a Sean Dyche thing. I can't imagine he's thinking in the back of his head, "Let's hope Bournemouth are fully on the beach here," uh, because that would just be an insane risk to take. I feel like they've got to look at us and think. We're going to try and win one of these two games, uh, and it's probably not going to be against Pep and Manchester City. So let's just try and beat Brighton instead. Um, focus on the set pieces and try and break them down. Get a goal and sit back, Burnley style. If you're listening to this after the Everton game, I feel like you've just you're either like these guys are absolute idiots, or like they were right. Oh my god, they were right. I don't want to hear this. So I almost. Uh, yeah, I want to just, I'd like to just hop Let's in the wrap. TARDIS and just get get through it, get through it. Yeah. Let's wrap. Uh, and the next time we chat will be to talk about exactly this uh, and what happened at the Amex on Monday night on the 8th of May, for better or worse. So do you have anything else to cover for the United game? Oh, let's talk about Jal Pedro. Are you excited? Where's your excitement meter for this, this signing? The Milner stuff we'll talk about as and when it gets done. It actually sounds like it's all but done and will be announced in the coming week or so. But let's talk about Jao Pedro from Watford. Very young, very talented, young Brazilian. Club captain at Watford. The Watford fans are gutted to see him go. But similar to the way we will probably be when Alexis goes, very little hard feelings. They could see that he was ready for the next step and they were, they're all pretty much universally happy to see him come to Brighton, which is always odd, isn't it? To be that team that everyone, like that you see other fans happy to see their players. If they had to go to someone, glad it's to us. Um, he was one that we talked about on the podcast a couple of years ago when Watford went down and I, I was, yeah, really you were big on him. Look at him compared to, cause a lot of people were talking Saar and Dennis and, and, but he was the one that like really stood out to me whenever we watched him in the Premier League. Um, and we've gone and snagged him for a club record of 30 million pound. What it, what's your feeling on this? Both, how do you feel about the signing? How do you feel about the position we've filled? And how do you feel about the fact that we've done it on like the 5th of May? When the news was coming out, it was all weird. No one wanted be- to believe Romano. Because uh, we're like, oh, uh, uh, we'll see how it is, mate. Fool me once. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, from what I've seen, his like dribble statistics are incredible like best in the championship sort of level and he can weave around players in incredible qualities for for his age um shooting probably needs a little bit of work but it seems like he sort of made his main role is to play as a sort of a 10 um so where we've talked about how you know max tries to play in that role but we prefer him deeper i think you'll see i think the ideal the view here that the deserving maybe has is to play Matoma on the left, play Ferguson up front, play Jao Pedro just behind him, play March on the right. And you've got an exciting group of players there where we know Matoma can go around a few people. Pedro can go around a few people. March can definitely do it. Uh, and then you hopefully, Ferguson can smack them in. And that's an incredibly exciting group of players behind behind Ferguson there. Uh, I'm pumped. Mm. 
yeah, it's solid, right? I just the ability to play in multiple positions up front, like his age, um, the fact that he was the captain at a championship club at 21 years old, like it's clear that he fits in with the attitude and stuff like that too. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of excitement. I think just having him as a 10 with, you know, if we don't sell anyone, like that mid three is just outrageous, isn't it? As well as sort of the wing. So, um, tasty. It, looking forward. And it's so good that we got it done, obviously, early doors because we know that we're going to get a full preseason with him as well. It's just to, to bed him in and, and have that sort of exposure. Uh, so, very excited about that. Uh, very good addition. Like you said, we've, he's he's been on the radar for a while, so it's good to get it over the line two months before we can even sign him. So, club club record signing, right? I mean, we, this is a this is yeah. a big one. Mm. We're going to see a lot of that, though. I think <laughs> this that might be beaten again. <laughs> it feels like he is the Mwepu signing for me. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Feels like he was the one that we brought in to replace the one we never wanted to lose, so to speak. Um, which is probably why we did it as quickly as we did as well. Like that was a hole we we've had in the side since whenever it, you know, whenever it was that he had everything go on with his heart stuff. So um yeah. There was another thing I was gonna bring up and now I forgot. Shit. It was a good one as well. Was it about Pedro was it a Mikey stat? Or was it about Jao Pedro or was it about no. Jimmy Milner? No, it wasn't about Jimmy Milner either. Um I can't remember what it was about now. So oh, Milner well. apparently speaks Spanish. He had this. Apparently speaks Spanish. He learned it to teach his kids. So yes, yeah, so his kids could be bilingual. Unbelievable. Which is <laughs> really so. You look at Milner and you're like, I don't see it. Uh, but hey, that, tell you what, the, the lingo on the training ground is probably going to be more Spanish than anything else at this rate, isn't it? But Portuguese spattered in yeah. there as well. You know, he is. I, I'm assuming that he's going to be a one year one year extension deal right like he's going to be the sort of one that's signed for a one plus one um i've remembered what i was going to say now as well so um he's going to be like one of those short-term deals um and i'm sure it's been adam lalana stamped um and i suspect that we may well have a dream team in the future on our coaching staff of lalana and milner um which is just the weirdest thought in the world um i don't know whether that's good and exciting or just dreadfully dull it's going to be uh, sad when yeah. Deserby, Milner, and Lalana head off to Liverpool to replace Klopp, isn't it? It'd be awful. All right, let's talk about one thing before I leave, before we wrap up as well. Because um, we've talked about it a few different times. Applications are now open for the fan advisory board. They are adding five new members. They're down to like five people because people just keep breaking the rules and getting kicked out. So there are... <laughs> They're, they're trying to bring on 10 altogether. If you would like to apply, because there was a fair few people in the chat who said that they could do a good job at this, put your money where your mouth is. The application form is on the club website. Go ahead and apply. See if you get through the application process. I've been stupid enough to try. So you know if they don't let me through, it's an absolute scam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, get on there and apply for it if you think you can do a good job because we've all talked plenty of times about the fact that the representation across that fab is shocking at best. Um, so if you want to get involved, get out there and throw the application together. It's really short. It's easy. So, What's your fir- What would be your first motion if you, you get in? 
my first motion, get rid of all the others. And then just have me. As like <laughs> yeah, yeah, like full on like dictatorship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'll be the I'll be Tony's court jester, um, and go from there. Yeah, I think that's smart. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd never reply. Can't, I can't think of anything worse for the club than if I had any say in anything. It does. Uh, I was reluctant because it does feel like very HOA but I can't help myself because I've talked so much shit about the current fan advisory board. <laughs> I was like, well, now I've really got to like back myself up. Uh, but it does feel quite HOA, doesn't it? Like, I don't know if you've got, had any experience in the past of major league soccer supporters clubs, but they are the ever living worst. <laughs> I can see that. Awful. Awful. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was like for Charlotte FC, I'll air some dirty laundry. They were, um, they invited me to a Slack channel um, about just like, cause I met up with a couple of guys who were starting up a supporters club, but it was like an unofficial one. And there's like one or two major official ones on there. And they had like sanctioned songs and like they had numbered them all. And like you, if you sang a song that wasn't on the sanctioned song list, um, like there was legitimately like trouble to be had. Um, and they played Atlanta in Charlotte and someone I was in the supporters, like the supporters in, um, and someone started a fuck you Atlanta chant, like a, Oh, fuck you. Like, like whatever. And yeah, yeah, lovely lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, definitely wasn't part of the sanctions song. Um, <laughs> <No>. and <laughs> some of the people who were part of those major supporters clubs genuinely like went to like the security staff to get this group of people anyone caught singing it they chucked out not because it was like swearing because it wasn't on their sanctions song list of the supporters section this is this is where we're at um so like that's why the fan advisory board scares me a bit but i'm also aware that the us and the mls is so far removed from anything like this so yeah Ooh. What was on the sanctions? Wasn't the club like just made? Didn't it like, wasn't it a fresh like franchise that was launched? Yeah. So they just made their own ones up. Um, oh, Jesus it was, I don't, don't want to even speak some of the lyrics for some of them because I'll get so much embarrassment saying them out loud. They're just so awful that like, I can't, I physically can't bring myself to like speak what the lyrics were. They were that cringy. One of them um, should have been, you've got no history to, to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're absolutely shocking anyway. So, I mean, it, the, the supporters club reflects the team itself because they're both absolutely shocking. So, yeah. So on that note, apply, everyone apply for that. <laughs> and and Josh is going to try and kill you off if he gets in anyway. So it yeah, I, well, it could always be worse. So <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it could. But yeah, go and apply if you want to be on. Uh, and who knows, maybe we'll 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 all get nominated and we can all vote for each other and be best friends. Create a Slack channel. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. We will speak to you soon, probably, because we'll play Everton tomorrow. Um, so we'll speak to you soon. Uh, have a wonderful day off if you're here in the UK. Enjoy going back to work. Oh, that's not. right. Oh, yeah. Gosh. I just forgot about that as well. I Thank hope none of you enjoy your day off. With yeah, all, all those scousers, all those scousers booing the national anthem will be having their feet up tomorrow, won't they? The cheeky little bastards. <laughs> I, I remember it. it's like midday for us as well, wasn't it? Like no, the game tomorrow. It's the an game. absolute scam. Yeah, it's half five. Yeah, half five in the afternoon. Yeah, it's going to be a tricky one. That's a lunch break viewing. 
Yeah, All right. yeah it is. Good luck. Fingers Bye. crossed. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you.